Good evening, everybody. Pray that your weekend was good and restful. So we're, we're entering into the second full week of Lent. It might be around this time that like your initiative and drive to do your Lenten commitments is waning. Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like going to the gym on New Year's, right? Everyone's like, "Yeah, I'm so stoked! I got my before and after picture in my mind." And then February, the gym's empty, right? They lose their commitment that they thought they had. So some encouragement: keep moving, be solid, and you'll make it to Easter, right? Week and a half, not a big deal, right? But also, I do think. While, while I was ripping on Deidre last week for, uh, for, for being one of those people who, like, lets go of their Lenten commitments on Sundays, I did that yesterday. So I'm a total hypocrite, right? But I also went to Taco Bell today. Like, that was friggin' awesome, right? You got to celebrate on Sundays still. So uh, find, some, find some joy, some non-spiritual consolation in the midst of your Lent, right? Some of you are probably like, Taco Bell is about as far from that as you can get. But I'm like, absolutely not. Taco Bell's amazing. We'll argue after Mass, right? So, today's gospel is an awesome sneak peek at the resurrection and what is to come, what that which is promised by Jesus, right? It's the transfiguration, and it's kind of it's kind of a crazy thing that we're doing here because the transfiguration has its own feast day in ordinary time, and, and uh, so we celebrate it as a church, but we're talking about it now. I mean, even the preface that I use uh, in the liturgy of the Eucharist, I use the one, the same one that we would use on the, the Feast of the Transfiguration. So I was thinking about, like, why would the church, in her wisdom, why would she put this particular passage on the second Sunday of Lent? What is Jesus telling us, and why now? And what are we going to do? Where are we going with this story itself? And as I came to some conclusions about that, I just, I just couldn't help but think of like the story of one of my best friends in high school. Um, honestly, like still my best friend. Uh, but I'm just going to tell you his story and then, and then compare that to what Jesus is telling us in the transfiguration about our own lives, about Lent, about what must be done for us to actually go to heaven, right? So like I was saying, my best friend, my best friend in high school, Alex DeLeo, a big Mexican guy. Uh, I've known him since the third grade, and we grew up together, played football together, did really, really dumb things together, uh, but he's a good man. He's a really good man, actually. And, and his path to being a good man was not straight, right? It wasn't, it wasn't easy for him to get there. Uh, but within that path, there's a clear analogy that points toward Christ and his own transfiguration. Um... Like, sorry if I, like, the story actually, like, it gets me. It gets me, right? I don't cry. So if I get a little misty-eyed, I apologize. But this is like a, it's just a beautiful story. 
So Alex comes from a well-to-do family, but like his life even started out in such a way that it's kind of unimaginable. His dad was a, a life flight EMT, and he was killed in a helicopter wreck in Billings when, when Alex was in the womb, right? When he's in the womb. And so clearly he doesn't remember that stuff, but he still loses his father before he's born. And, and there's some place in the depth of his heart, I know, that there's this wound of loss, right? So God gives him with a, with a good stepfather, so he's not left orphan, but of course there's still some effect in his soul there, right? Some pain, these things we experience, even, even as children, right? So we grow up, everything's normal, everything's really normal. But then Alex, when I'm in seminary, right, he gets involved with the wrong people. So we're, I don't know, 25, 27 years old, right? His mid-20s, he starts dating this girl, and she's an addict. And, and he's, he's right on the cusp of actually getting engaged to this girl, right? And I don't remember exactly what I said to him about that at the time, but probably a bunch of four-letter words. I'm like, what are you doing, man? You know, so, uh, but she, at one point, she like, she, like, takes everything from him. Everything. And I mean everything, right? His car, his phone. Like, I remember one time I tried to call him, and she answered. I was like, what is this? What are you doing? Right? And she moves far away. Everything he had worked for up to that point in his life is gone. Right? And, and what had happened is that, like, under her influence, he himself started to use drugs. So he started to use meth, honestly. Um, he got in the wrong crowd, and he was with this girl. And I'm not just talking, like, I'm talking about injecting methamphetamine into your arm. That's how, that's how bad and how deep he had gotten into this world. And so, with the loss of this girl, like, his drug use gets worse and worse and worse. And, and I remember one summer night, like, I was home in Billings visiting my parents in the seminary, and I got a call from his mom, and, and I couldn't understand anything that she's saying. Not a word, because she's crying. She's in tears, right? So his sister gets on the phone to tell me that Alex is in the hospital because of his meth use, right? And they're afraid he's going to die. And up to that point, I'm like, whoa. I, I really honestly didn't know that he was using and so I get down there, and it's kind of an ugly scene, but he ends up being okay. He survives. We talk through some stuff. He starts to get a little help. Then he relapses. And, and the, everything that they tell you about drug relapses is real. It's real, right? He's asking for money. He's, he's being manipulative. He's getting angry when I call him on his stuff. Like, are you using again? Getting mad at me for that. And brothers and sisters, to see someone that you love face-to-face -face with scabs all over their body, uh, like essentially homeless, dirty clothes, walking around the streets is, is like a whole different thing, right? Because if you don't know somebody, you can point them out and you can call them a junkie, sure. But if you know their heart, if you know their heart to any extent, you can't pass them off like that. 
like something you saw on TV. And so, myself and some of his family members, we start getting him help, and he goes into rehab, and, and uh, he starts, he, he lives in Missoula for a bit, and then there's this one night, we're, we're playing Call of Duty online, right? So that's how we would connect when he was in Missoula. And, uh, like, he's just off that night. I mean, it was through the headset. I mean, his kill-to-death ratio was way down, you know? And, like, and uh, so he just wasn't, like, but he just wasn't being himself. And, and so the next day he calls me, and he says, I relapsed again, and I just didn't want to tell you because I'm ashamed of myself. And so I told him, I'm here for you, man, but you can't give up. Because in a lot of ways, relapsing is a part of recovery. It's a part of the process, right? We can't think in, in, perfectionistic, in a perfect, perfectionistic way because it'll never work, right? So relapse is a part of recovery. So we get him into rehab again, and we get him into a sober living house. And, and after, that, after that second relapse, he finally starts to get traction in his recovery, right? And so he's, he's close to a year being sober, and I go to this Narcotics Anonymous meeting with him. And to be honest, I still, like to this day, I still need to process that night. Uh, there's a group of people who, who only among themselves know the pain of that type of addiction. It's not something you can just enter into and, and sympathize with. And, and these people are humble enough to share their lives, their pain, their ongoing struggle to stay clean, and they invited me into that, which was incredible. Uh, people, people who are trying so hard to do better in their lives, and they opened that door to me because I was helping Alex through that. And it was hilarious because I was a deacon at that time, and the guy... The guy who led the group's like, wait, you're going to be a Catholic priest? Like a Catholic priest? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, hopefully next year. And then in front of the group, he gets up and he's like, hey, all of you stop cussing right now. Right? He's, There's a priest here. And then he's like, I've been meaning to tell you that anyway, but you guys need to watch your mouth. And I was like, whatever, you know. But it was simply this depth of raw humanity that I had never seen before. So now Alex, he leads those groups every week, right? He, he leads them. He leads other people through recovery. And even at my own ordination to the priesthood, he had to skip one of the, one of the celebratory dinners so that he could attend a group here in Helena because you can find these groups from city to city, right? Now he's stable bought a place. He's got a bulldog named Chico. Right? Disgusting, snorting creatures, you know, like, but he loves him. So, I mean, but he's got a good job. And I was even talking to him last week. And I said, Alex, are you getting enough Jesus in your life? What are you doing with your, with your faith life? And he's like, actually, I am. I'm praying a lot. And I'm growing there. So my friend Alex, he's a good man, but a man who has been transformed by his own suffering. Whether 
It was the things he couldn't control or, or even the things that he brought upon himself. He suffered in both of those ways. And it's at that exact juncture that we see the grace that Christ gives in the transfiguration. Because what is Jesus actually doing? He is showing the apostles his glory as God, right? He reveals himself as God in that way. And he reveals what will happen when he rises from the dead. That's the transfiguration, right? But the key thing here, brothers and sisters, is that before that happens, before he ascends, he has to endure the cross. He has to endure the cross. He has to suffer and die and be buried. And only then, only in those things, does he rise again. So he's giving his apostles a glimpse of, of glory so that when they see him hanging on the cross, they'll know and believe that he'll rise again. And he does. But it's only through the cross. Only through the cross. And then the cross itself becomes the tree of life for us. So, so now, looking back at Christ's cruci crucifixion, we don't remember the cross as a place where it all ended for us. But we remember it as the instrument which gave us eternal life, right? That's why crucifixes are important, right? Uh, that's why the cross is a symbol of our faith, right? It, it's not, it, it doesn't have this meaning of a torture device anymore, but it's a, it's a sign of redemption. And the same thing applies to my friend Alex's life and to our own lives, every one of us. Right? We can look at these traumas, these events, and, and sufferings uh, as horrible things in our lives. And we can sit in them and be victimized by them. And let them wound us all the years that we might, may live. Or we can let Christ heal how we see the past and see them as points where we actually began to believe. Where our faith grew, where we trusted where we allowed God to work, uh, where we carried our own cross with him. Because we always know that there's a better way to live our lives. There always is, of course. And we long for the glory of the transfiguration. We're made for that. But we also have to know that the final glorification of humanity always goes through the cross. Always. You're never going to get out of this life without suffering something. And if we carry our crosses in this life well, they'll be transformed into something beautiful. And then after we persevere, we ourselves will be transfigured with our Lord to the glory of heaven. And that, that's my friend's my friend Alex's life. That's his life. And it's ongoing. There's still growth. 
but there's, there's this death, this addiction, this suffering in his life that's transformed into goodness. That's God's power. He doesn't snap his fingers and make everything better for you. No, he takes the things that have hurt us and transforms them into what is good. That's more powerful than, than magically making everything better. He takes evil and makes it good. God took each of these horrible things in his life and he made them the path by which Alex is called to follow him. And ultimately the path by which he'll be conformed and transfigured with Christ. And that's your life too, brothers and sisters. That's your life too. Your sufferings, your sins, your pain, God will transform into beauty. And he'll transfigure you to glory through them. Not without them. Through them. But only if you trust him. Only if you persevere. And only if you take up your cross and follow the Lord. He's not going to save you without you. I'll leave you with some wisdom from St. Jose Maria Escriva. He says, Jesus did not say you would not be troubled. He did not say you would not be tempted. And he did not say you would not be distressed. But he did say that you would not be overcome. Brothers and sisters, tonight and moving forward from here, let's embrace our cross and walk the path to glory with Christ.